0: Welcome to episode 55, also known as the finale of season four, and this is my chance to give you a quick highlight reel of all the guests of season four so that you can go back and then listen to their episodes and be inspired and just get to hear from so many different perspectives and backgrounds, and people in different industries. I am thrilled to introduce or reintroduce you to the following people. And if you're feeling extra generous, a share and a review go such a long way in reaching more people, in spreading good news. So please consider it, and here we go. Episode 41, Avital Asulin. Director of the New York Theater Barn, Choreography Lab, and Choreographer. And
1: I produced one tiny, squirrely little lab on my own. And at that lab, the Artistic Director of New York Theater Barn, Joe Barros, was a audience member. And very quickly afterwards, he said, you know, you could make this a thing solely on its own, but it dovetails so nicely with our programming that it really would be wonderful if you wanted to join us and run this program through our company that is already a nonprofit theater company, <laughs> um, and we've been able to slowly but surely expand our reach, expand our audience base, expand the. Uh, scope and caliber of writers, of choreographers that we've been able to work with. It's been really fascinating to go from a program that no one knew about to a program that I think really makes an impact, I think, in the community that we are participants in.
0: And I so love how you just made it happen the first time, right? You said, this is going to happen in any way, shape, or form, and you did it. And because you were open to it because you stepped out of the box joe was in the audience and all of this grew from there because you took the step to make it happen and that-
1: it's very funny because somebody doesn't say like oh i work in hr and you say oh are you the vp of human resources at <laughs> at you know at nbc and then the person has to go no i just work in hr at this company like that's not a conversation that goes back and forth, but for actors or for dancers, they say, oh, are you on Broadway? Or, oh, are you this? And like, we don't do that for other people's careers. We don't, if somebody says something back, you don't parrot back to them like, oh, do you work at the in the number one job of your field? Oh, oh. <laughs>
0: and, and you made such a great point about the, it's kind of like that perception of, especially from someone outside the entertainment industry, oh, you're not on Broadway? Right. Oh, so right. what'd you do? You know, and to be shifting that to, no, because there's so many other things that I can do here in New York, besides being on Broadway, that are so fulfilling and so moving and impacting others. And you're giving that opportunity to so many people in in what you're doing, which is, again, so needed and so fantastic. Episode 42, Aaron Smith formerly incarcerated and now founder of Escaping the Odds Media.
2: Education in my household was really uh, valued. Um, And so I always knew that I would go to college, right? But I also knew what I was facing on the other side of my door in my neighborhood, right? Uh, Crime, drugs, gang, culture. I was one foot in and one foot out. You know, I would go to school, I would work, you know, a part-time job, but that ambitious mindset, that hustler in me, I seen you know people making an astronomical amount of money. I'm like, hey, I I can do the same thing, but I also can kind of kind of go to school and kind of keep myself legit at the same time. So I thought, and um, that one that thing that you feed the most is what's going to grow. Not too That's long after graduating in 2004, I was indicted by the federal government. Um, with that, it really kind of just changed my life as it should have. You know, uh, sometimes it takes drastic situations to kind of a light bulb kind of goes off. You get that epiphany, like, Hey, I was selling myself short. Right. I didn't, I had no business being involved in these kind of activities, but nevertheless I was. And so uh, I had to deal with the, with the consequences. And, but more importantly, I embraced the consequences. My response to incarceration was different than what I seen around me. I knew that God was going to use this situation for a reason. And so I tell people that I went to prison on purpose and meaning that it was a purpose behind me going to prison. Idea, while I was away, to um, really change the narrative of what people thought the formerly incarcerated looked like and even also what they can accomplish upon and release. Uh, spiritually, mentally, and physically, I did something every day to kind of sharpen myself. And most importantly, I, uh, I spent time around men that were like-minded. Um, it was training ground for me. And so once I was released, I thought of the idea. I said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna get out and I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna do.
0: Talk about a prison story you never hear, right? On mainstream media or in the millions of television shows that show the prison system in one way or another. Yeah. All of us to know about too that you know there are opportunities everywhere, even everywhere. somewhere you yes. would definitely not absolutely think. yeah. Episode forty-three, Dr. Jillian Velmore, founder of Singaphasia.
3: Like Less than 90% of the general population has heard this term before. There is an estimated 2 million people um, in the United States alone that have this acquired language disorder. And like you had mentioned, it's typically acquired from a brain injury. Most cases are due to stroke. So a lot of times people have difficulty with speaking, um, reading and writing when they have aphasia, but um, their intelligence is still intact. And so if you think, you know, it can be a really devastating diagnosis to get if you think about your communication and the way you interact with people. You know, there's ongoing research now about the benefits of singing in a choir for this population. You know, personally, it's being an Acquire myself, I know that, you know, when you feel like you are connected to these people, you belong somewhere, you have that sense of belonging with others, which is so important. You know, our, our true goal is to end the isolation. I asked some of my members, what are your goals for this year? And some of them are, you know, I want to stand up independently. I want to start reading aloud more. Um, I want to be able to write my name again. Um, and you know, that's really powerful. I kept thinking that throughout this whole thing that like, I've never made a nonprofit before. I didn't know what I was doing. I, I literally have the book nonprofit for dummies, (laughs) you know, I'm, I'm just like an average person that (laughs) works and, you know, does everything else. And there's a nonprofit out there that is changing lives, um, all over the world. And I'm just so proud of that, proud of, you know, the people that have been with me through this, our members, our board of advisors, um, all of my mentors and professors that have helped me through this and my family. It's like, you know, you can do hard things.
0: Episode 44, Suzanne Orlando, LCSW, The Anxiety Alchemist.
4: She gave me the tools that enabled me to save my own life, essentially. And I never was great at school. I never was a good student. I just wasn't into it. I just did enough to get by. And as I would sit with her, I'm like, oh, I would love to be sitting in her chair doing exactly what she's doing with me. But I didn't think I could. I didn't think I was smart enough. So I went down my own path, went through a couple of different majors in college. And then You know, I said to myself one day, I'm like, well, why can't I do this? So I started taking some classes and, you know, fast forward, I ended up going to get um, my master's degree in social work. And I ended up saying to myself, "I I need to do this work. And when I started to do the work that I loved and I started when I was taking my master's degree courses it was pretty, it came pretty easy to me because it was something I was interested in. They also do equine therapy. So they have people who hold my credentials that work with um, equine experts that work with clients on the ground. We don't ride horses and they basically process everything that they're all their emotions that they have a hard time talking about through the horses and the horses play everything out. So now I'm also doing psychotherapy in the equine space, which I never thought I would do, but the universe leads you in quite different directions. You know, not that it's, we we always have, we can always look at things through very different lenses or or several Mm -hmm. different lenses throughout our experiences. Um, And I think that, you know, just this, my personal experience enduring the trauma that I did, when I look back on it now, um, it sounds, it sounds bizarre, but not that I'm grateful that it happened because it was very traumatizing, but had that not happened, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in right now.
0: Episode 45, Devin Ogden, founder of Safi Life.
5: And ended up with them starting a nonprofit for women. As you said, it's called Safi Life. and And right now we have 50 women in our trade school, and a lot of them are single mothers like myself, ironically, and they are able to support their families and change their community and the whole culture at large by becoming businesswomen and entrepreneurs. And I'm just so proud of them every day. And so sort of took theater therapy, which was being implemented in Los Angeles in um, different prison systems, and then taking it over to Rwanda and working with people there who needed um, the support emotionally and, and so mostly we just went there to listen, which was the biggest gift was to just listen to other people um, who I knew nothing about and who had been through um, some of the most horrendous things uh, anyone on earth has ever been through. and. For most of them to come out on the other side as positive and as loving as they are and continue to be is a constant inspiration to me. One of the girls I actually met over lunch, um, her name is Safi, and we were the exact same age. We were 21 at the time, and uh, we just hit it off and became really good friends. She told me her story and was very vulnerable with me. She'd lost her whole family in the 1994 genocide against the Tutsis, and um and so we just sort of stayed in touch and I supported her through her getting her business degree. Um, and then I said, how can I help the community more over there? I want it all to come from you, but I want to know what I can do to help. And she said, we need education for women. There's a quote, I think it's on our website, but it says, "If you educate a
6: woman, you educate a community.
0: Episode 46, Stacey Cook, founder of Project Fit America.
6: I said, what if I were to sell the idea of adopting schools to corporate America and then give all the equipment away to all the schools that can't afford it. Um, There's a book I paid $375 for it. It's called the AHA Guide American Hospital Association Guide. It has a list of every hospital in the country and I picked out that book and started on page one and started cold calling all these hospitals across the country. Um, I contacted 600 in, the, in 1990 and 596 of them told me to have a good day, but four came forward. And that was all I needed. You're going to have less than a third of all certified PE teachers have any formal training in fitness education. So um, there was a need for that kind of training as part of their overall comprehensive physical education uh, career. So those became the three hallmarks of Project in America the equipment, the curriculum and the training to achieve fitness. You just need to have motivation and desire. And, um, and all of us have motivation and desire in us. It's just tapping it. And for a kid, it's even more powerful because it's a kid's real nature to run and be active and play. And they've learned to be sedentary. It is not their nature to do this at all. So it's really fun because our greatest job is to flick on that switch when you when you want to start something new and you want to make a difference you need to do something daily towards that goal it doesn't have to be a big something but each little seed planted uh creates a little bit of a pathway and all of a sudden you look behind you and like, wow you look look how far we've come
0: episode 47 indu navar everything als
7: um then we got to the neurologist pretty early And the neurologist said, um, you know, hey, it's so early to say what it is. So let's just wait and see how bad it gets. And, you know, for me sitting there going, how can that be? How can you be early to any disease? I mean, do we have anything to really figure out what it is? And can't we at least make an attempt to measure what's going on instead of just come back after eight months or 12 months and we'll see how bad it is? Really, it's you lose so much hope. And that's kind of what I want to change. He's a great person, he's a good person he's he did the right thing in the world, and to see him suffer and uh go through where you know we lost him we lost him in twenty nineteen and um I just thought it was it was not okay it was not okay that we lost him because not because you know. Is there everything we did every, every, have we put our best effort forward? No, we haven't. As human beings, we have not really put our best effort forward to really figure out how to actually um, stop this happening. And this is a disease we know for hundred years. And if you see our lives in the last 20 years, it's changed because we've brought so much technology in to give us, make our life better. But if you look at ALS, nothing has happened. I actually knew this is what I was going to do. And I'm going to dedicate my life to fixing this because for me, it's personal. And it might not be Peter, but there are a lot of people like Peter out there. And secondly, I just don't want his name to be associated with somebody who died because of the disease. I want it to be associated with he changed his suffering meant he changed the... Landscape of this disease. That's how I want him to be remembered. We need to leave, you know, this world a better place than we found it. And we need to, you know, do this for our next generation. And uh, we strongly believe that, you know, being good, doing the right thing is the most important thing as human beings we need to do.
0: Episode 48 Marlene Sharp, Executive Producer.
8: I was old enough to realize that. Entertainment was a business, and that sh- shows were made in places other than where I lived. I was I was fascinated, mm-hmm. but there's usually some little grain of sand, some little thing that could be excavated from even even a terrible situation, and um, and that can be nurtured and grown into some something else that's positive. When I was temping, I landed in the office of a gentleman who was instrumental in bringing Power Rangers to the United States. Level 5 decided to close its Los Angeles office, which sadly was the end of my full-time job at Level 5. And so I did not have another full-time job waiting for me. So I decided, well, Pink Poodle will be my full-time job until I have another. And lo and behold, that has been my full-time job for the last two plus years. I've been very fortunate in getting so much work. I call it forced entrepreneurship.
0: Episode 49, Mark Palm, founder of Samaritan
8: Aviation.
9: We're, we're getting medical supplies out to places where it, it, before we got there, it took six months to get medical supplies. We can get them right out there within an hour flight. Uh, we're able to go out and stop uh, cholera outbreaks, for example, or other sickness outbreaks. And, um, you know, we do all this at no charge to the people. And so it's just, uh, for me, it's just an amazing uh, opportunity, really, to uh, love your neighbor as yourself, to do that in a way without expectation. You know, we're we we uh, we're just so blessed to be able to serve. We can see a need. We can respond. That's what we've been doing in Papua New Guinea for the last 12 years, uh, just reaching remote communities offering access and hope. And we do that using seaplanes your community. There's needs everywhere, but you, you got to start, you know, if you sit around and wait for this perfect moment that you're going to be a hero or something, that's not what it's all about. You know, it's, it's extending a hand, it's opening a door, it's, it's, um, it's giving of yourself, uh, do what you came here to do and do what you do well. And that's, what's going to make the longest lasting impact. For me, it's just been an amazing journey. That started young as a young man, and um, I'm still living the dream today. And I thought just getting started actually.
0: Episode 50 Morelena Wallace, founder and CEO of Equity Design Inc.
10: It was a track that has opened the door for me uh, so many different ways to travel, to represent the United States. um, And it also had me understand just how important you can apply at an early age, the discipline that sports affords you. Um, And then you apply that to your work ethic. You apply that to just, just everyday living that, it's not really the kids we should be working with, it's the adults. And because it's the adults that do not have the healthy relationship to physical activity, to finish the race and to come back downstairs. And Sebastian Stan has pizza for us and says, <laughs> I waited and because one of the teachers, we were the last ones to, to come in and we stayed together. Right. And, and for him to say, I'm here for you all. I'm here for equity design. I'm here for these teachers. You know, that, that that meant wow. everything. So it, it was, it was at that moment where I'm like, this is, this is definitely puts a stamp on what I should be doing and what I can do. So it was that moment that helped me realize, like, sky's the limit, no matter who tells you no, or like, if you have a vision, there's move forward with it.
0: Episode 51, Jonathan Asayag, LCSW, co-founder of Renew Wellness Psychotherapy.
11: And out of all the hurt and the pain, there is um, the potential and, and there is the growth that takes place, uh, the vulnerability and the power of, 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 uh, of the changes that are in the conversations that go through in, in the space that are very uplifting and and they thought about it and then they come back and and they say, you know, this is how it, it impacted me uh, in in a good way. Uh, So I I always find those moments to be really excited in in my head. I'm like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm really excited when, when they say things like that, when we're working with together for some time and they're able to see, feel, and even verbalize, all the good things that they came from the very first session that we saw that I, that that I could see as an outsider, like, wow, all these, all these great qualities that you have uh, that they are able to kind of see, like, this is who I am. This is who I'm becoming. And if I'm applying it to myself, I want to be, I want to be really mindful of that. I want to be intentional about, you know, just giving, showing up for myself, give myself that love that I, that I deserve. Um, and really setting those intentions, I think, has been, been helpful. For
0: there, me. There's another thing that, you know, I've observed, too, is that there's, it's easy to broadcast all the volunteer and the extra work and to kind of show that part to the world, like, oh, I'm working 12 hours a day because I'm doing four hours of volunteer after work, or, oh, you know, I'm doing this charity event, and you so quietly do it and so humbly do it that I think that's really credible too, and also a great reminder that we don't even always see the extra work that people are doing. Episode 52, JJ Kells, student, wanderer, living with OCD and in the driver's seat.
12: I do have obsessive compulsive disorder. It's also called OCD. Um, So it's not necessarily who I am, but it's a part of my experience all day, every day. And I think it's created pieces of me because I've learned um, that I have knowledge and I have determination. So it's kind of shaped who I am when I'm tempted to kind of let OCD take over and win and I don't want to fight for what I want to do. I remember that I owe it to that child, to myself as a kid, to fight for my own mental health and my right to live how I want to live. And I did not think I was going to return to grad school, but I did return in the fall of 2020 after a family friend named Debbie encouraged me to, and I'm so thankful for that. You know, as much as I hate OCD, um, there is a part of me that's really thankful for it because without it, I wouldn't know my sense of motivation and resilience. And I also wouldn't know these amazing people within the past, a little over a year that have helped me. I wouldn't have crossed paths with them and learned even more about life so much. Yeah. I love the word resilience and everyone has it. It's we all discover it at different times in different ways. I, that I really think it's inside everyone. And, it's just what something will make you discover it.
0: Episode fifty-three. Ryan Burnett, Northside Boxing Club.
13: Uh, I, I looked up a, a local boxing gym by the name of Uppercut and went there and and trained with some of the trainers there and fell in love with what the sport was and how challenging it was and and what it what it started to do for you know my overall disposition and got to see in turn, when I'd go to these, these fights and these bouts, uh, what it was doing for some of the youth that were getting involved and how good they were and how disciplined and how focused and how, um, I think it translated to what they went on to do in, you know, in their daily life, um, a- a- as it did mine, it-, it brought a whole different perspective. You know, the, um, the building used to be a blight, um, used to have, you know, uh, gunshot holes in it, graffiti, et cetera. Now it's, a now, you know, now, now, we, now it's considered a beacon in the neighborhood. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, one part that I don't want to gloss over is the fact that we put out healthy, uh, healthy food every single night. Move is one. That, one. that one obviously kind of speaks for itself, but we, that one's very important that no matter what we do, we do it together and, and we have each other's backs.
0: Episode 54, Joanne and Nikki, the founders of Be Free Adaptive Clothing. sip ons which are adaptive pants for children and adults. Um, and we are so passionate about this, about making adaptive clothing mainstream. And so you don't have to search for it. You don't have to find it. It's out there like every other type of clothing on the market. And we just don't want people to worry about getting dressed or struggle to get dressed. We want to take that worry away and solve that problem for people. You mentioned Stella had surgery when she was five. And she had both of her legs in casts with a bar in between to set her hips in place. So you can imagine that a typical pair of pants, you, you, there's, there's no way you can get that. On, on her Not at all. And, yeah. um, and Nikki asked everywhere, like what, you know, what clothing is out there? What can I get? And it, it just didn't exist. So she went, <laughs> actually, yeah, so yeah.
4: <laughs> so I made her a pair. Mm. I basically went and bought her, her pajamas and I took the outer seam apart. So our pants unzipped now completely on the outer seam. But at the time I had taken the outer seam apart and just sewed Velcro, So I could literally open the pant up and sit Stella in them and then close the pant around her. And for Stella, it was a huge game changer because she has so much anxiety. So she can't even look at a Band-Aid without getting stressed out. So to have cast on her legs for three months was devastating. So I just had to come up with a solution. And then that's where we really started to talk more about it and how we can make this change for people. I
0: still can't get my head around how there was nothing out there like this before. So, just amazing that you you said we're not going to take it anymore. We're doing something about it, and you kept at it, and you kept at it, and now you have an entire company. That's that's amazing. Thank you so much for being a part of Be the Good Season Four. Whether you're listening for the first time or the 55th time, I am so thankful for your time. I know you have lots of podcasts to choose from. If you do enjoy these episodes, please subscribe and share on social, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. A share and review go a long way in reaching more people with good news. I'm Kate Cherichello, signing off for Season 4, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day. Go out and be the good in your own world.